Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast, presented by Canon Press. So welcome to the podcast. I'm Douglas Wilson. This is episode 256, 256. Now, as I'm recording it, I, I think I've probably mentioned this before, but I, I record these things uh, once a month and I record four of them at a go. So I'm not quite sure when this one that I'm recording is going to drop. But as I'm recording it, it's October 31st, which means that it's almost certainly going to drop in November, sometime in early November. Also, in November, we begin our annual festivities uh, uh, that we call No Quarter November. And I thought I'd give you a little bit of, uh, oh, I suppose, backstage gossip about No Quarter November, how, how it all came about. So I was sitting around, uh, Nancy and I were visiting one evening with uh, Nate and Heather. They had dropped by to see us, and uh, we were talking about things, and I, I made some point about it'd be fun or nice. I think I was the one who made it about just cutting loose and saying, saying straight what I thought without anticipating or answering objections or provide without providing any qualifications at all. So that burst into flame. And I think Nate poured some gasoline on the flame and the, and we thought, okay, no, no quarter. No Quarter November came out. Now, No Quarter, uh, that is a seafaring phrase, and it means when, from the days of sailing ships, when men of war would go into battle, No Quarter meant take no prisoners. So if, if there was a negotiated offer before the battle, uh, if you surrender, we'll send you off as prisoners of war, we'll treat you right. But if you don't surrender, we're going to go to battle and there will be no quarter. Uh, no quarter means no mercy, basically, no accepted surrender. So, no quarter November is intended to be a time where I don't offer disclaimers. I just say what I want to say. Now, I normally do offer disclaimers. So, let's say, and so 11 months out of the year, I'm sweet and balanced. And if I'm going to write a blog post that I think is going to be uh, spicy or, or controversial or get the chimps jumping somehow, if I think that that's going to happen, what I will routinely do is, I call it, I, it's not always the second paragraph, but I call it my second paragraph rule. Uh, my second paragraph rule is where I, in the second paragraph, put in all sorts of disarming comments. By the rest of the post, don't take me as saying that anybody who lives in South Dakota is stupid. That's not my point. That's not what I'm arguing for at this time. <laughs> something like that. And so I'm, I'm going to say something that is controversial, and I run ahead and anticipate objections. You're just saying that. And then I, I answer those objections, provide all my qualifications. Now, generally speaking, this second paragraph rule is satisfying for me because when someone comes at me and says, you said that everyone who lives in South Dakota is stupid, 
I can point to the second paragraph and said, no, I expressly did not say that. You know, I expressly did not make that point. So it was decided that the distinguishing feature of No Quarter November would be not having that second paragraph in there, just saying it. Everybody knows I, I give my qualifications for 11 months out of 12. And so why don't we just take a holiday from trying to uh, do all that stuff and just state it in an unvarnished way? Now, Saul Alinsky, the communist or collectivist agitator who wrote Rules for Radicals, he was a brilliant tactician, um, but ungodly man. His sixth rule, his sixth rule for radicals is that a good tactic is one that your people enjoy. And what happened was the first, the first no quarter November, uh, we did a little video to promote it. And that was the burning couch video where I was sitting on the couch explaining what we were going to do. And the other end of the couch was on fire. So that was the first one. Then the second one was what we burn. We, this is the fifth year. So we have burned the couch. We've burned my truck. And it was not a waste of a truck. It was the steering column had gone out and I didn't want to spend any more money on it. So we burned my, we burned my truck. We burned a field, a big pattern, skull and crossbones into a field. We burned a boat. And I can say this now because the video will have dropped. We burned my office. So um, we built a set in which I'm working in the office and that, that office goes up in flames. And it must be said that when it finally took, it was uh, spectacular. So that's, um, that's what we've done. The people, the people generally enjoy it every year. The traction on the videos has gotten greater and greater, and we give away a bunch of books we, uh, during the course of November. And it's a great promotion, a great way to introduce people to what we're trying to do, what we're trying to get accomplished. Everybody has a good bit of fun, and there we are. So, No Quarter November is underway even as we speak, and we'll see how it goes this time. This is, um, I'm calling this one the NQNQ one, which is No Quarter November Quinquennial. Quinquennial is our fifth anniversary. Always will be God. So continuing on with episode 256 of the podcast, we continue to wend our way through a museum of sin, looking at all the exhibits. We are examining the Greek words that are used for sins in the New Testament, and we're in our fifth year of this, and we are only in the E's, or as some would have it, the Epsilons. <laughs> we are not very far in the Greek alphabet. I'm working through a Greek lexicon. Uh, slowly as we do this, and we're only in the epsilons. Our word today is enupniadzomai, E-N-U-P-N-I-A-D-Z-O-M-A-I, enupniadzomai, uh, which is rendered in one place as filthy dreamer, filthy dreamer. So in Jude, uh, verse 8, it says, likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, these filthy dreamers, there it is, defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. So these filthy dreamers are such because, as the context plainly shows, they are antinomians. They are against the law. They don't want to be restrained by any kind of authority. Uh, they chafe under authority, and they want to be able to give way 
to unbridled lust. They don't want anyone to come in and tell them no. They don't mind authority in the church so long as they are the ones wielding it. It's being under authority that they don't like. Now, one surprising thing for some conservative Christians is the teaching that Jude gives us here that prohibits us even from reviling the devil. Now, that's, that was brought home to me. I, I learned this lesson when I was just a little kid. As we went off to Sunday school, I was, this was a Southern Baptist church in Annapolis, Maryland. And we learned a little kid's song. You probably know it. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, wear down in my heart. And one of the verses that we learned that Sunday was, if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack, ow, sit on attack, ow, sit on attack. So if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. And then I forget what the last line was of that verse. So having been thus edified at Sunday school, I was, and maybe with my brother and sister, singing it around the house. And my dad heard and, what? And explained to me that we were not allowed to revile the devil like that. Even the archangel Michael doesn't collide with them that way and just contents himself with saying, the Lord rebuke you. So these filthy dreamers, these are filthy dreamers and they're filthy dreamers because they hate authority all kinds and they don't want to be under anyone's authority for any reason. God don't never change He's God So, the book review that we're going to get to in this podcast is The Mark of the Christian by Francis Schaeffer. The Mark of the Christian. Now, I was greatly influenced by Schaeffer back in the day, back in the 70s, and enjoyed his books very much. Particularly enjoyed his film series, Whatever Happened to the Human Race, and How Should We Then Live? And I remember we, we sponsored uh, showings of those films on the campus of the U of I. And so I, I was very appreciative of Schaefer's influence and teaching and whatnot. Now, I remember when I was a young man, a very young man, when I was in the Navy, my first encounter with Francis Schaefer was picking up his little book, Escape from Reason. And I had no acquaintance with philosophy at the time and the history of philosophical or theological thought and tried to read Escape from Reason. And at the time, it was just, I, m- I remember making a joke that Schaefer was a Presbyterian who wrote in tongues. I didn't know, what was he going on about? But I um, came around and got to the point where I was really learning from Schaefer. It was uh, very, very good. Now, uh, this booklet, the, sh- this, um, the Mark of the Christian, was originally published as an appendix to his book, The Church at the End of the 20th Century. And I've heard different people say that it was an appendix in, to The Great Evangelical Disaster, which I've not been, I've not been able to confirm. When I, what I'm saying is I went through a bunch of Schaefer's stuff back in the 70s, and then over the last year or so, I've been revisiting a number of his books. And a friend just recently um, mentioned The Mark of the Christian to me, and I thought, and so I got it and listened to it again. And it was just wonderful. It's just very, very good. And basically, he dissects the lovelessness that many Christians exhibit in the middle of 
controversy or in the middle of doctrinal disagreements or in the in the middle of whatever situation uh, they're in, right? So, but the thing that makes Schaefer so good on this this um, subject of the need for loving, the need to love one another, the need to love our enemies, the need to be compassionate people. The reason is that he's so good on this is that we live in a a sentimental time where our evangelical leadership has, has led us down a primrose path where they have twisted and taken the Lord's instruction that we must love our enemies, and they've turned it into a an assumption that we must have no enemies. <laughs> you must. Jesus says, "Love your enemies." The assumption is in modern Christianity: if you have enemies, and if you engage with them, and if you collide with them, and if you have polemical exchange with them, then you are somehow sinning. Well, Francis Schaeffer was so good on this subject because he defined love biblically. He defined love biblically. In other words, he didn't define lack of love as being a situation where somebody was offended. Francis Schaeffer was a fighter. He challenged the complacency of the American evangelical church on abortion with um, whatever happened to the human race. And I think it's fair to say that Francis Schaeffer almost single-handedly made evangelicals in North America pro-life. It was not necessarily a reflexive, instinctive action uh, for many Protestants, many Protestant evangelicals, until Schaeffer made his contribution. So he was very confrontational of the, of the church in his, in, on the issue of life issues. He directly and bluntly challenged the church on its uh, se- cultural separatism in uh, how should we then live, uh, our pietistic assumption that the arts or culture is somehow uh, corrupting. He, he confronted us on that. His later book, The Christian Manifesto, was very confrontational. And his, uh, uh, his book, The Great Evangelical Disaster, was he just slapped everybody around. <laughs> so Francis Schaeffer, when he says that we are to love one another, he is not saying this as a theological or doctrinal pacifist. He is, it's like having a war hero, someone you respect highly, who's been captured by the enemy and spent time in a prisoner of war camp being tortured by his enemies. And then when he's released, he's willing to go back into battle again. But he insists that we must love our enemies. He, he must be the kind of person who prays for the guards who tortured him while he was in the POW camp. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about. So Francis Schaeffer was very uh, good. This little booklet, uh, The Mark of the Christian, is just really worth your time. I would encourage you to revisit it. if you have. If, well, read it for the first time if you haven't read it before, and read it again if you did. 